Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and loathe from a queer perspective. I'm your friendly neighbourhood, Hamish Steele. And I'm Jade, most likely to play a halfling for no reason other than the fact they really like halflings, Rose. And this is a delightful mishmash of an episode because everyone's going back to school, it's cooling down a little, except for the fact that it's going to be like 22 degrees today, but that's how it usually goes. The kids <laughs> go back to school or uni, and then the weather gets better again after having been miserable for a week or so. <laughs> but, uh, and yeah, there's all sorts of exciting things happening. Certain things are finishing, games are coming out. The There's always something about autumn or the beginnings of autumn that I like. I think... I've kind of realized I'm I might get sort of seasonal depression a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um I was very like genuinely so happy when it was hot and so miserable uh the last few days of it cooling down. Mm-hmm. And yet some like I also am like Mariah Carey levels of festive <laughs> and like <laughs> every now and again just the feeling of chill or like uh, just thinking about certain things just gets me very excited and pulls me through. Yeah. Um, I'm also excited for kind of autumn. Yeah. Um, and also, even like, I'm someone who does not care how early things get stocked in shops, and there's lots of Halloween stuff already. And I'm into it. I like wow. walking past a shop and seeing skeletons and witches and pumpkins and stuff. It's t- it's the spoopy season is upon us. It's the yeah. good. It's, it's the good. Oh. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, we also know that we've been a little bit um, slap hazard with our release schedule of late. We've been very busy mm-hmm. uh, and I'm hoping things sort of settle a little bit for the future. So thank you for being so patient. We've mm. got some questions from you that we're going to do at the end, but I think first it's time for a catch up geek out. Yeah, let's get our queer and geeky news round up what we've been <laughs> listening to, watching, enjoying, happy about all of yeah. that. So, why don't you go first? What have you been, etc. about? Uh, let's let's start with the one that's sort of on a wider scale thing, because uh, it was big news on Twitter and on the on the world scene. And we are a queer podcast about uh, the decriminalisation of homosexuality in India, uh, mm-hmm. like uh, Section three seven seven, and it's just really great to see this outpouring of uh, positivity from the community. And also, I really, I don't want to say enjoy, because that seems almost the wrong word, but the calling out of this is part of decolonization. Like, that law was a hull back from when England went over there and imposed its own morality on mm. um, on a country and a culture that already had a thriving queer community. Yeah. And... Uh, I don't know lots of the details. I've seen some things, and I didn't make any good notes. But it, the we talked a lot about uh, in various ways and forms about uh, how there is a very Western view of both gender and sexuality. That's the lens with which we view things. India seemed to be quite happy doing its own thing, and then the British came along and were just like, "Yeah, no, anything that any kind of carnal relations that they deemed to be inappropriate was illegal." Mm. And it typical fucking English. <laughs> God fucking white people. God well, damn. this is the thing. I think some people think the history of homophobia is it was at its worst 
the further you go back. Yeah. Um, and I think while nowadays we probably have a lot more of an understanding, there's always homophobia is a is a thing that was imposed on people. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been times when it hasn't been so bad uh, as other times. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if you go around the the countries that still have like, but homosexuality is still a crime, are uh, more often than not uh, ex-colonial sort mm. of victims. And yeah, um, I just think yeah, this is a good step. And it's also just nice being reaffirmed occasionally that the the world is progressing at yeah. the moment because mm. there's so many I read so many much about laws coming in to stop that um yeah. so something like this is good agreed agreed um in my own little uh <laughs> pocket of queerness mm-hmm. um me and a few friends have started a Walthamstow queer film club hey. um but only has four of us because only four people can fit in it. And <laughs> we the the whole idea of a club um is more of a kind of the joke of it. But um it's just me, uh previous guest, Mel Pisswitch Trender, um, and two of our friends, po- uh someone who's in my Monster Hearts group and her wife. And we um just watch queer films. And mm-hmm. we had our first meeting uh, a week ago, and we watched, uh, it was our kind of ladies' first theme. Mm-hmm. And so we watched Bound, The Handmaiden, and But I'm a Cheerleader. Yes, And yes. all very good. All uh, There was always someone in the group who hadn't seen the film, so we're always showing it to someone else. Um, sp- spoilers for all three, but they all have happy endings. Um, and that's kind of, at the moment, our rule. Like, we we are doing this club so that we can have a little eye of the storm of positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason I'm mentioning it, and I have asked Twitter, um, it's fallen slightly on me, but not really, as the only gay of in the village <laughs> of this group. Uh-huh. Uh to replicate the ladies' first week for a, a, a men's only uh, uh, week. We've got till November because of our schedules and whatever. But yeah. I'm finding it really tough to find films that fit the similar kind of mood of the films I've mentioned. Yeah. Um, I have felt sometimes that films about gay men um, do fall into... Uh, Either they're not really for gay men to consume. I said on Twitter that the films that gay men like and the films that contain gay men are wildly different. Yeah. Like whenever I think of of like great gay cinema, it's usually like, you know, some Hollywood starlet mm. uh being wrecked <laughs> and damaged and having a monologue and <laughs> looking fabulous. Uh with maybe like an implied um queer character or something yeah um and a lot of gay movies even the ones i like i really like a film called weekend but it's not a party film it's just two men mumbling in a flat for about an hour (laughs) um (laughs) so uh, maybe i should have done this at the end but if if anybody does have like recommendations for films the reason we like bound was because it was a thriller 
it was really exciting. It was really good, but it happens to have uh, queer characters at the center. Um, something like The Handmaiden, it like starts off as this uh, movie that you think is going to be potentially sort of very um, mm. uh, slow and considered, and it kind of goes off in this wildly crazy like <laughs> uh, direction. Mm. And but I'm a cheerleader. It's is one of those films that's really good. I don't think it's dated, and yet I also think you couldn't make nowadays because. The idea of doing a kind of goofy comedy and conversion therapy is yeah. not exactly, uh, doesn't exactly sound great. But um, mm. yeah, we're just looking for films like that. I think at the moment I might show um, I Love You, Philip Morris. I was literally about to suggest I Love You, Philip Morris. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's, it's, it is heartfelt. Yes. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say happy ending. But it's mm. got a kind of bouncy vibe. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm looking for other things like that. Yeah. I can't remember how Velvet Goldmine ends because I do think it's <laughs> worth watching because I, yeah. I haven't seen Velvet Goldmine in years. You could just like go back through your McGregor's back catalogue of movies <laughs> and just go, oh, like that one, ahead of that one, ahead of that one. I mean, you're, that's the other... You're McGregor, proud ally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is... We mm. did have a chat about um, sad endings and yeah. happy endings. I don't necessarily consider the couple don't end up together a no bad ending. No, um, but there's, and, a, there's a difference between not a fairy tale happy ending and a tragic ending. Like, yeah, and there's also there are levels like we are going to watch a few sad endings because, as I've mentioned multiple times in the podcast, I don't think straight people can have monopoly on like tragic relationship stories yeah and there's quite a few i do like i think there's a difference between bury your gaze and a gay character dies in the film yeah um it, it depending on i think it's more common in a tv show when there is the gay characters and they're probably most likely to die as opposed to this is a film about two gay people and it ends in a death <laughs> sure um it's subtle, but like we need to be in the mood for those. And, yeah, no, um, it is one of those things you like psych yourself up for, like because you you just go in knowing what kind of thing it's going to be, for sure. Um, so I'm going to round up this little mention of the club by just saying everyone needs to watch Bound. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I'm packing it. Up. I'm going away for a few days uh, to an Airbnb uh, with my boyfriend, and Bound is one of the films that's going in my suitcase because uh, he's not seen it. It's it, when it starts. I you think it? I think knowing when it's from and knowing mm. the kind of film it is, yeah. you assume very horrible things are going to happen. Yeah, and horrible things do happen, but it's mm. so like feel good as well. It's really yeah. strange. Yeah. It's very good. Everyone should see it. It's definitely not directed by two straight men. Yep. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, uh, excellent cinematography as well in that one by a woman oh, who yeah. genuinely has the nickname Susie Sexpert because of how good she is at <laughs> shooting sex scenes. But anyway, but I just yeah, I, 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 go I, on. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, before I get into varying tabletop chat, because that I will, uh, I want to talk about the Hollow, which I have been sort of working my way through on Netflix at the moment. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what I was expecting from it. Uh, it just, the animation style isn't particularly earth shattering. Not that I perturb to be any kind of expert on it, but I liked the character designs enough that I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. It, ca- it caught my eye on the autoplay, which I suppose is the autoplay doing its job. <laughs> but these three, I assume they're meant to be teenagers, uh, like late teens, uh, wake up in an underground room. No doors, no windows. There's a grate up by the ceiling. It's a very tall room, like 20 feet high, and a typewriter. They have no memory of who they are or how they got there. And that's the premise. That's how it starts. And they work their way out of this first room, and they're trying to discover who they are. Like Within the first thing, they find like slips of paper in their pockets with their names on, if those are their real names. And it's about them just trying to suss out what the hell's going on. And as it goes on, you find out uh, they all three of them have got abilities. And it becomes like, okay, what the hell is going on? And I'm only partway through the series, but it definitely feels like, okay, there's something other going on. And in the first episode, you meet this kind of sort of like weird, not extraterrestrial, extra-dimensional entity that can be summoned. And uh, if they ask for help, please, he'll bamf them somewhere else. And they've got mm. a map and more of it's being revealed as they go. But uh, it's it does fall prey to the not that many female characters going on of the main trio. Uh, you have Adam, uh, who's a young black man. You've got Kai, who is presumably white, could, but could have, be like a light-coloured, uh, could uh, be a different race, but with red hair as well. And then you've got Mira, who I think is meant to be East Asian, who definitely does fall into the trope of dyed hair, if that <laughs> is the case. But they're really fun characters. Um, I find it very engaging. There's some little bits of tropey stuff in there about one of the guys liking the girl and her not noticing yet and some bullshit boys. We're just like, I like her. (laughs) But the impression I'm getting so far is that Adam is not interested in Mira that way at all. And Mm. I like, this might just be me. I get some nice, I think that young man may be a homosexual. But (laughs) that could just be uh, me hoping. But the animation is fun the voice acting is great and i do recommend checking it out it's not hit anything that's made me go uh and i say nothing problematic ding ding nothing in it has sent up an alarm bell it's got some trophy bits but not in the scent not in a way that bothers me and as i said nothing that's raised an alarm or set up a red flag for me to warn people off it so netflix um is very exciting at the moment for animation because um as much as we love Cartoon Network and uh, Nickelodeon, and we'll be talking in the second half a little bit about some of their shows, mm-hmm. um, they don't have the same uh, strict advertising-based mm. um, requirements on who their shows are aimed at. Yeah. Um, so they are dev- genuinely working on animation for uh, other Sort of, I mean, other types of kid, but yes. uh, all animation on the other channels is very strongly aimed at kind of eight to twelves. Yes, um, as they buy the most expensive toys, mm-hmm. and uh, it's nice knowing that they they are making cartoons for sort of sixteen to eighteen year olds and cartoons for mm. all kinds of people. So yeah, they're ones to watch. Um, I. I'm going to mention another piece of fine queer cinema. <laughs> um, 
So, there is a actor-comedian guy called Brian Jordan Alvarez, who, um, most famous for being the creator of uh, The Gay and Wondrous Life of Caleb Gallo, which in turn is most probably most famous for sometimes things that are expensive are worse. Um, <laughs> and the character of Freckle. Um, his YouTube account is somewhere I often go just to be inspired at what's possible mm-hmm. in comedy writing. Um, he puts out so many, like, when he, when his YouTube account uploads, you have no idea if it's going to be a 30-second video mm. or a film. Yeah. And uh, recently, he tweeted, it's August, so here's our sci-fi Christmas movie. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, Fantastic. And he uploaded a proper hour and 20 minute film to YouTube called Grandmother's Gold. Mm-hmm. And it is the most batshit thing I've ever watched. It's very that good. Is saying something, because I know some of the things <laughs> you've watched. I don't, I really don't want to spoil much. Uh-huh. In, a, in the vaguest sense, it's, it is a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, set in California about a group of people uh, in the apocalypse trying to find their grandmother who has b- a buried pot of gold. That's I love it. I giving love you it. no like, that's giving you no information. <laughs> yeah. Um but since watching it, we watched it with a friend, uh I have been quoting all kinds of moments. Mm-hmm. Um, something that I will warn about his stuff, it's on a level of irony mm. that sometimes the first thing you watch of... Uh, like, the first episode of Caleb Gallo has a plotline about the main character trying out bisexuality, mm-hmm. and uh, because he doesn't want to go whole hog, dates Freckle, who is non-binary... Yeah, and it it comes across really like, oh, what's going on? Is this their actual opinions? Mm. Quite often, they um, like there's a really funny discussion in Grandmother's Gold where they start talking about Hooters, the restaurant, mm. and how everyone in the group says, "Well, yeah, it's really insulting to the women unless they really want it, and then it's empowering." Yeah, yeah, it's really insulting to the women, but like as long as they love it, it's really empowering. And then they all kind of go, actually, we're all having conversation and we're all men. Let's talk to the woman of the group. What do you think? And she's like, yeah, I mean, it's it's really discriminating, but if they enjoy it, it's really empowering. <laughs> and like, it, it's like, yeah, you have to accept that part of the joke is that all of the, all of the characters they portray in all their videos are kind of meant to be slightly, I mean, they're all kind of parodies of people that live in LA. Yeah. And they 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 are all struggling actors in LA in real life and in their shorts, but they really like heighten it. Yeah, and they all sort of try to sound kind of woke and liberal all the time, but mm-hmm. they don't. There's yeah. like it's very surface level. Yeah. So there's sometimes like a few moments where you're like, oh, "What are you trying to say with this?" But um, it's the 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 pile of things that make me feel a bit uncomfortable next to the pile of things that make me feel incredibly excited and happy and like it's very like the main character's gay and like the mm. queerness in these things is very much apparent yeah um so yeah That's check right. it out on youtube if you have an hour and 20 minutes <laughs> and feeling christmasy <laughs> uh 
I want to give a shout out to a game I played for the first time yesterday. Uh, a tabletop game, a GMless narrative, co-collaborative storytelling game called Random Access History. And in it, you play, uh, it's a game for two players and you play uh, co-pilots. One of you is a pilot and one of you is a sentient mech. And the whole thing is based around this premise called the Bloom, which is mm. a place where uh, you can share memories and sensations. And uh, it's by Ben Roswell, and it's currently in playtest. And it's like a love letter to Pacific Rim, amongst other things, and Chasing the Rabbit. And I played it for the first time last night and had such an excellent time. Um, and there's so much flexibility in the kind of story you can tell. But I was playing the pilot and my friend Dora, uh, who I've mentioned before as part of Follow the Leader, uh, was playing the mech, in this case, a human cloned uh, version of an alien biosuit, uh, like an uh, like a symbiote. So it was kind of a cross between like Tony's most recent version of the Iron Man suit and the Venom symbiote. Mm. And uh, yeah, we had it was very emotional, unsurprisingly, because we were utterly on our bullshit. But the idea is that you uh, you have scenes that you frame, and you have a hand of cards, and you will play a card, and to sort of activate a memory. And the suits indicate what the memory is about, whether it's tied to a person or a place or a strong emotion. Or and then uh, the cards run from two to ace, with two just being a memory and uh, having like maybe low stakes, whereas an ace being like a pivotal event in your life or that is fundamental to who you are. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to play. I'll send you the uh, the playtest materials to have a read through. It was uh, once you got in it on reading it, it feels like a little okay. I don't, quite, but once you get in, it's like super intuitive and really fun to play. I mean and the idea. Mm -hmm. Go on. I was just going to say, if people want to see that, uh, if they go to twitch.tv forward slash Happy Dora, it's on VOD. So you can uh, check that out. We played for a couple of hours. Cool. I mean, the idea of people with emotional relationships to their kind of mechs mm -hmm. um, is right up my street because that's who I was playing in our <laughs> the game we were just playing. Mm -hmm. the, um, mm -hmm. the the sprawl and blades and what have you. Yeah. Um, Speaking of which, you're getting started for a new game, aren't you? Uh, yes. Um, I Now I've talked a lot on this podcast about an actual play that was going to happen. And it is still going to happen. But after conversation with Hamish and with the other people involved, what we've decided is everything we've done so far is effectively our lost season <laughs> that maybe will be released at some point. But we're starting afresh, a new, simpler system. We've been playing together a while. We've all learned some things. And we're going to be starting a campaign um, of Masks, a new generation by Brendan Conway. And I am very excited. Uh, I've had the players all send me their character concepts. And I think this is going to be a really interesting group. And I came up with my first villain uh, this mm. week. And I am super excited. But I, will not, I won't tell you anything about this villain because... This time, the actual play is going to happen. I can't tell you <laughs> when the first episode will be released. It will come up in a future episode of Box Not Included, I promise, uh, when I have a little bit of, a, of some edited episodes ready so I'm not chasing my own tail trying to get it all out. But uh, I'm excited. It's a Powered by the Apocalypse system. Uh, it's a 2D6 plus stat. And it's 
some of the way they talk about moods is a bit different to some of the systems I've played before, which is an interesting thing to try and wrap my head around. But if you're into like Teen Titans or Young Justice or Young Avengers or anything that kind of vibe, this might be a kind of a story that would be interesting for you. I'm very excited. Uh, hmm. I'm taking a little step back, mostly be- I, mostly because. I do think games work best when you can play them more regularly, and that's very unlikely if I'm involved with a game at the moment. Mm. Um, but I'm hoping to maybe <clears throat> make a cameo or something in the future. Um, the reason I mentioned that is because uh, I, despite not being involved in that game, I am very, very interested in playing Masks in the Future, and something that has made me realise this is PlayStation 4's Spider-Man game that came out on Friday. Has it only been out since Friday? It feels like yes. everyone <laughs> on my Twitter is playing it. Oh my god! Yeah, it 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 got very overly hyped. Uh, well, no, I, I mean, I I think it's really great. I think it does live up to my personal hype. I'm sure maybe other people got a bit too overboard. Um, it's uh, basically sp- uh, the video game based on the film Spider Man Two was one of those rare actually amazing video game tie-in games um it mostly because swinging around new york even in a bad game is very enjoyable um and it's been kind of the benchmark of spider-man games that they've never really managed to match Mm -hmm. and um this game very much does you are in a very living breathing exciting uh version of new york that's just kind of uh, spellbinding to see. I mean, I, I was in New York a few um, weeks ago and it feels exactly the same. I actually walked to my hotel, mm-hmm. um, and which is now the Oscorp building. Hey. <laughs> um, so I felt a little excited. Um, it's just so much fun. And I, I, playing it made me remember why I love Spider-Man and mm. the element even though he's sort of 23 in this game and it's set a little bit later in his career than we often see. Um, just, I don't think other superheroes have the kind of Venn diagram of things that I find very interesting with the sort of angsty teen drama side of things and his constantly trying to get money. And it, it's nice playing a game where you are just very good. Mm. Like, you you have to sort of save the world and also find a guy's lost pigeons Mm. and uh, Peter Parker's storyline outside of Spider-Man is that Aunt May now works in a homeless shelter and so there's a lot of parts of the game of you visiting there and um, it's just I love (laughs) Spider-Man and the game made me remember that Um, and unlike previous Spider-Man games this one's very very clear It's not set in the MCU, but it's very clear that people will understand references now. So while swinging around to New York, I have found uh, Nelson and Murdoch's uh, law firm. I found Alias Investigations. Hell yes. um, The the Santorum, whatever Doctor Strange's building's called. Mm -hmm. Um, I found the Wakandan Embassy. Um, it's, It's just like, it's it's... Very nicely set in the world, but very focused on Spider-Man and his villains and everything. 
Um, so, yeah. Spider-Man and Peter Parker, um, I've not really read any of the comics in a long time, so I'm not familiar with um, Miles Morales or um, uh, Spider-Gwen or any of the other versions. So I'm very excited for Into the Multiverse, which mm. I am going to the cinema to see, but that's <laughs> happening later this year. But Peter Parker and the whole Spider-Man ethos, because I feel like it's something that continues across the iterations of Spider-Man, Despite the powers that he has, Peter Parker has always felt so incredibly relatable. And there's something... Because mm. sometimes when people try hard, it's not very endearing at all. But there's an earnestness to Peter uh, that I have always found incredibly relatable. Um, and uh, it's a, a slight offshoot. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Dresden File books, which I need to sit and do a reread of. But in it, the character of Harry Dresden, who's this uh, wizard in his late 20s, early 30s, uh, in it talks about subscribing to the Tao of Peter Parker, which is hmm. when you're scared, you crack jokes and you make fun of the villain because you're so scared. Hmm. And that I always found like, I remember watching the 90s animated series and some of the books that I've read. And there was always something about that energy to Peter that I found yeah. very relatable and engaging. Just like, oh, you feel like somebody I know or you feel like that might be how I might react. I think so often with... And Marvel, I think we've, I think you and I have discussed a little bit and I think it's sort of a wider known thing about how Marvel uh, is about uh, very human characters who get like, who try to be gods and DC is people with godlike powers trying to be human. Mm. And I feel like Pete might be kind of an exception to that. He feels so much more relatable than a lot of the MCU. Uh, not the MCU. Oh, Jesus. The, but Marvel characters there. Yeah. Back catalogue. Aside from maybe the X-Men. Who were, well, there's, were, all, well, were all about being sort of, or a lot of them being like about being young teenagers coming into terms of power. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a reason why they continuously... Uh, send Peter Parker back to high school mm. because it's kind of his unique selling point. He is in a, when you look at the rest of the Avengers, for example, you have billionaire, whatever, <laughs> philanthropists, yeah. um, and gods and people lost in time and special spies and what have you. And it's one of those weird things where you'd imagine there'd be hundreds of like high school superheroes, but it's something that's actually very unique about Peter Parker and how he's saving the world and also can't pay rent. And, uh, mm. you know, he there's a bit in the game where I have just, like, stopped a helicopter from crashing into a huge group of people. And then uh, I get really embarrassed and ashamed because Aunt May has sent me some money because I've been evicted. Yeah. And, like, I love that. I love that balance. Yeah. Um and, That's just a good game. Yeah. Uh, not to say that there aren't like cool teen characters within the Marvel Universe. It's just Spider-Man is one of the most prevalent because he, he's been around for so long. Because there are people like Kate Bishop and the other young Avengers oh, yeah, yeah. and there's amazing stories being told. It's just sort of like Peter's here and is, pre is this very prevalent figure. He's like one of the best known Marvel heroes. I also think there's a reason, even when like there aren't regular films coming out, but kids love Spider-Man. Like yeah. Spider-Man is probably the biggest uh, backpack superhero. <laughs> mm. um, and it's one of the reasons I like 
Super Sentai and those kinds of things. I think genuinely one of the reasons he's popular is that his costume is like full body covered. Mm. There's no like hint of who he is behind and it can yeah. be anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the few things I like, well, actually that's a lie. I actually have a real soft spot for Amazing Spider-Man too, but there's a conversation mm. where uh, Peter Parker is like really explaining how, how do you know it's a man? How do you know it's anybody? It can just like, you yeah. know, anybody could be under there. Um, and yeah. Also, just a quick shout out. They, did, they didn't have to do it. It would have been noticeable if they didn't, but in their version of New York, they do have the village and they do have like a mm. section of New York that's full of rainbow flags. And I've seen almost everyone who has the game take selfies with it. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I've been seeing that. Just like, oh, heck yeah. And I've hit, <laughs> and I've watched the show. Shout out to the voice acting because, uh, yeah, that's my kind of a bag. I, yeah. I think... I would actually sit and watch people playing Spider-Man. I'm not a gamer. I can't play games. I, I'm bad with controllers, but I would watch people playing this. Also, I think this is definitely a game in which motion sickness can incur because you're often flying around of course. skyscrapers. Of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think maybe watching it would be really good. They've also done, like, it's a very Trump era. Ooh. It's like kind of thing. Like uh, the first um, level is set in... Fisk Tower right. of like of Kingpin and um their take on J. Jonah Jameson is basically InfoWars. And oh, when I say Trump era, I mean it's like negative <laughs> on on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um but it's kind of interesting. It's one of the first kind of bits of media which is very like overtly set now. Because I we talked before how there's quite a few films that came out, which were clearly set in the Hillary timeline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's good. Rad. Um, I want to quickly shout out uh, to my Thursday night D&D game. Uh, I've mentioned before uh, when the DM introduced a non-binary character and how happy that made me and uh, sort of, and the game progressed because it's a, it's a weekly game and Erin remains as much of a disaster as she has ever been. But uh, the other day I was chatting with my DM on Twitter and I was just like, hey, uh, Toby, when are you going to give me some cute uh, lady NPCs for an errand to be a disaster around? Because uh, I knew that an errand, gender doesn't mean anything to an errand. Uh, in terms of a trait, it's not uh, something that really is a consideration for her. And Toby's just like, oh, well, there's been characters there because so far all the cute lady NPCs I've met have been married or with somebody else. <laughs> so it's just mm. like, oh. But he was like very pro the idea. I think we were talking about another piece of media. Oh, that was what did it. And he said about, oh, well, like loads of my NPCs and characters are queer anyway. And I was here like, hello. Because it doesn't really necessarily come up because it's just a part of the world. But so we now have a bit of a running gag about uh, no, there are no stra- straight people in Ponkara, which is the continent we're currently on. Because <laughs> uh, like... Uh, we've just said like there's this one character that's straight and that's why nobody likes him uh, which is uh, which is fun just chatting with Toby and one of uh, my fellow players Sarah and um, what I had this moment of chatting with them about it and I realized despite all of that I'm still feeling nervous because there's an aspect of an Aaron's character that has never really come up and in truth I don't know whether it would need to but it came about because I was, uh, uh, an Aaron is a druid and can change into animals. And I was looking for pictures uh, for my Roll20 sheets 
of the animals. So, because, uh, you know, when you drag them on, so they're on the map. And in my head, um, an Erin is a trans woman and mm. always has been. It's never come up in play. And I don't see why it would have. That she's awkward enough in her own right for many reasons. Uh, she's also a hundred years old, so she's been like she's known exactly who she is for a very long time. But I've never said this in character or out of character to anyone in that group. And if Toby or Sarah is listening, because they're more likely to than anybody else, now you know. But because I was looking at wild-shaped animals, I was like, one of them was going to be a lion, and I was like, oh wait, should I pick a lion with a mane or a lion without a mane? And I was just like, huh, that's a that's a thought. Mm-hmm. And I was just, as it, I, I picked a, a, a female lion in the a lioness for the image because just like, if you can change into animals, I think you can change, you can decide what animal you're turning <laughs> into exactly. So yeah. having that wild shape reflect... Uh, the gender that you know you are seemed appropriate but it's one of those things where and this is just i mean as a, as a non-binary person it's not quite it's not the same at all but also there is some kinship with and i don't know how to say to everybody without it feeling like i'm trying to make a big thing just going hmm. hey yeah by the way an erin is trans I, I I don't know how to have that conversation, and I feel I've caught I've put myself in an awkward little box, where I know and to be fair like there are a lot of people that are in that in real life, so I'm just maybe experiencing a tiny glimmer of that. Mm. But it's sort of like, huh, what do? I think sometimes people it it came up a lot when the Adventure Time really exploded, mm. and um. I don't think you can treat role-playing games as other types of media when it comes to representation. Um, you, I'm trying to like in Adventure Time, some people have and other um, things like I think Critical Role, even though they're not part of that, people have thrown the kind of bury your gaze trope at them. Mm. And while that's sometimes valid, it's also a, a game you're playing in which you could potentially save people and fail to do so yeah um and similarly it's you know you can say that your character is trans when it comes up and if it doesn't come up that's not your fault and it's not bad representation or anything yeah um it's playing a game it's much more close to real life true um but yeah, I mean if, if you're happy to say it on this podcast I don't think you should feel too afraid by just mentioning it um, mm. maybe try a try and start up a conversation about each other's characters yeah. and things that we don't know yet, or details about their appearance or things like that. Yeah, I know when we were gaming together, I needed kind of constant reminders of who everybody was. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it would be out of place to just say, "Let's talk about this. who we all are again." Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll do it after this arc that we're working towards. Mm. That'd be cool. Okay, you got one more thing I know you wanted to mention before we go for a tea break. This is very quick. Uh, I've started a Twitter account called No Context Sentai, no spaces, 
And even if you're not a big fan of Super Sentai, I think you'll get a laugh out of it. I just post screenshots from various Super Sentai uh, shows. I always <laughs> tag them with which one it is. Um, and Super Sentai is already pretty um, bizarre in context. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, a lot of them has just made me laugh posting them. And um, it kind of exploded... In a, in a in a modest way mm. um over the weekend um i'm trying to post things every kind of couple of hours that i'm awake i'll slow down eventually but i want there to be a good backlog for people when i recommend it such as now so nice if you like seeing people in colorful costumes say really bizarre lines <laughs> of dialogue that don't seem to fit it's all real i promise and you should give it a look nice let's put the kettle on yes please It's the middle section of the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening again. Thank you for being patient through our slightly odd schedules. I mean, sometimes genuinely I just, because we're every other week, um, I do forget. <laughs> I think uh, last week I our episode went out a little late just because I had completely forgotten. And I'm sorry. We um, are very good at podcasting. Someone who never forgets to support us, however, <laughs> is Ooh, Beastly Beverages. That was Cedro was beautiful. Fandom <laughs> and fantasy, luxury, hand-blended, loose-leaf tea, and tea-related geeky paraphernalia. The business is queer-owned, all ingredients are organic, fairly traded, and almost all the products are suitable for vegans. Um, they are a... They're called Beastly Beverages, and... Although they uh, sell fine teas all year round, I do think this spooky time of year is when they truly become alive. They're very on brand at this time, and they are announcing several um, autumn teas, including an Adams Family themed one. Um, so if you do go to BC Beverages, check for the limited edition autumn blend. Um, also, speaking of autumn, October Comic Con, they will always be at uh, London MCM. Uh, if you're in there, uh, Jade and I will also be attending. Hell yeah! Um, so that's something to check out. Um, but until then, go to beastlybeverages.com. They also have a Patreon, a Facebook, a Tumblr, a Twitter, and an Instagram. And if you do go, we have a sponsor code for you to use. Uh, if you use the code PROBLEMATIC, uh, all one word, uh, it's uh, why would, would it be two words? It's a single word, but you can use that one word to get uh, a massive 10% off your order and they ship worldwide. So that really is a great deal. Once again, that's problematic. Our last sponsor code had capital letters in a space and we always had to make that clear. And now that we have one that doesn't have any of that, we always have to make it clear that it doesn't. So yeah. it doesn't really solve any of our issues. Um, <laughs> Those issues are entirely our own. <laughs> I'm going to do this one this time because okay. I haven't before. Uh, we are also sponsored by Dungeons and Queers. It's an all trans, all queer, actual play D&D 5th edition podcast that can be found on iTunes or Google Play or most other podcasting apps. These players focus on diverse characterization and good representation, specifically focused on diverse genders, orientations, races, and disability. It's a deaf accessible podcast with transcripts for the episodes available, and now is the perfect time to hop on. If you love friends at the table or the adventure zone but wish they were queerer this is exactly the podcast for you download it and make sure you don't miss out on undead hordes high adventure and larry the cable god 
And the same team is responsible for Polyam Radio. It's a show about relationships, love and polyamory. It's all about queer love, that creepy up kind of love, that kind of love that enriches our lives and makes us do stupid things. It's about relationships that work and habits that don't and things we wish we didn't do or that our partners did. It's about... Queers? Oh, there we go. There we go. (laughs) There's a there's a thing that what happens when the space is missing. There we go. It's about quiz and the experience, uh, their experiences and analysing mistakes and telling the listener how not to make them. And that is also available on iTunes and most other podcasting platforms. Well, I've just finished my autumn blend of Adam's Family. I don't actually have that. I wish I did. I'm having water, yeah. but it's finished. So back into it. Would you like to? Yeah. So. We uh, briefly mentioned this sort of in the intro and it actually popped up uh, briefly before the break. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, the Adventure Time finale and uh, some other things currently going on in the world of cartoons and representation. Yeah, I think LGBT representation in cartoons is something we'll come back to mm. over and over and over again. Um, I cartoon LGBT panels is something that I did almost every year at Nine Worlds until the couple, uh, until this time in which I didn't attend. Um, And it's really interesting how when we started those panels, we had like, well, BMO kind of, and hopefully Marceline and Bubblegum will kiss one day. And that was about it. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, uh, the panels always overrun. There's too much to talk about. Um, and lots of different kinds of representation. Um, so I don't, not to give any sp- <sighs> spoilers for the Adventure Time finale, um, but only about one ax- one aspect that uh, might have already been spoiled for you by Twitter. I was going to say, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably the kind <laughs> of person that has already had this spoiled for you on Twitter. Yeah. Um, in the finale, Marceline and Bubblegum kiss. Woo! Uh, I was very lucky enough to actually, uh, I say watch live, but just be unspoiled. Mm. I woke up on the morning and watched it straight away and didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I also watched a very useful, uh, about 14 minute video on here's what you missed on Adventure Time. Because um, I am a few seasons behind. That cartoon I think a lot of pe- has a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... It was a really good finale. It was very emotional. Um, Rebecca Sugar has a couple of songs in it. Um, it's very good. But yes, the kiss is the moment that um, most people have been talking about. Mm. Um, and it has been compared to a few other moments of LGBT represent- representation or lack thereof in other cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not really part of the Voltron fandom but i know you are slightly more um yeah i have yet to watch the most recent season uh through varying reasons and also because i saw a massive backlash against it after the excitement we talked about this the reveal at comic-con uh about uh shiro's uh uh, ex-boyfriend adam and uh that was going to be a aspect of season seven and that aspect weren't great from 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 what I heard. Uh, spoilers for season seven of Voltron. Um, I'm not giving specifics because I don't exactly know. My understanding is that in the uh, Adam 
dies during season mm. seven is is killed um and shiro appears to be getting a new love interest from some alien i don't know the gender of said alien um but you know bisexual men do exist shocking mm. i know <laughs> but i know there was a lot of hurt feelings and talk about bury your gaze as when, when this happened and a lot of people say well this isn't what we wanted and as this uh this wonderful thing that's happened uh with Adventure Time finally being able to show something that they've wanted to do for a long time. Because I know the, the bubbling relationship has been a, an element of that show. And like has they've been able to have more in the comics. Like it was confirmed by creators mm. ages ago. I think the thing I wanted to talk about was mm. um, where to direct people's anger. Mm. Um the Shiro having a boyfriend wasn't, would have been done, it would have been fought for. And whatever mm. happened um, was probably the best they could manage. I do also think, yeah, they possibly didn't have to kill people, blah, 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 blah. But um, something like the bubbling thing, as great as it is, I think there's a reason it happens in the final ever ep- episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, they were teasing us for ages. It's when is the last moment where they could argue to include it? Yeah. Um, I think people don't quite understand how really hard it is to get representation in cartoons, and not just cartoons, but cartoons with established, very profitable fan bases. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm pretty sure that moment of them kissing will be cut out of certain versions of uh, the episode. Mm. Um, and like also at the same time from a story reason because <sighs> I think about this with Korra and Asami as well mm. it's <sighs> the kiss is great but because we've had to hide so much of their relationship it also kind of doesn't feel like it should mm. like they kiss really quickly and we cut away those characters should have, like, the thing that the creators have said about those characters is that they did date in the past, but have broken up. Mm. And, like, we don't get that moment kind of explored because we have to make sure it's as quick and small as possible. I think about Koro and Asami as well, because they hold hands confirming that they're together, but we don't see them together. Mm. We only, it's implied they have this relationship off screen. Mm-hmm. And that's still the kind of fight. Mm-hmm. Like I, th- these, uh, to use a, a infamous phrase, exclusively gay moments. <laughs> uh, an exclusively gay moment does injustice to the fun you can have exploring a relationship in greater detail. Yes. Um, that said, now that Marceline and Bubblegum are together, I genuinely think both of those are some of the most three-dimensional, fully-fleshed queer characters in media. Mm. Um I do like Marceline a lot, but I think especially Bubblegum, she's uh, very multifaceted and not always a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, she has this real, like, imperialist, like, side to her. And I I like that these characters are actually really kind of developed. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, so much what we talk about when we talk about representation is these should be real character, real people. They should be fully, ideally, they should be fully fleshed out characters. They aren't that exist beyond their uh, beyond their gender or beyond their sexuality. That shouldn't be all there is to them. So when you have something confirmed about a character that is already so interesting, mm. it's fantastic. And we don't often get to, to see those kinds of characters. One, you don't often see that kind of character getting to be played, uh, getting to be a woman. Mm. Uh, secondly, like just that kind of a character getting to be queer. Um, like the kind of representation we tend to see um, is very of a type. Yeah. And I think that that, that that makes it valid, I think, sometimes to come up with a character and then realise they're queer in some way later. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think certain adult shows think, well, we have to have a gay one, so here's the gay character or here's the trans character or what have you, and all of their plot will revolve around that because they haven't been developed in any other way. Um, and that was what people were hoping from Voltron. Um Again, it's it's okay to be mad, but I think be mad at DreamWorks and the yeah, not the people who have been probably. Uh, I have been in cartoon meeting rooms, and like the worst thing ever is trying to justify why you deserve to be in the show you've put your heart and soul into. Yeah, and like I've been. I mean, I've already mentioned. Um, the Wizard of Oz show I've been working on. Uh, things have been good, but there was a particular meeting in which I was trying to fight for a certain type of queer representation. Well, I'll say gay representation. I was explaining why I would like to write a gay character into the show I was working on. And sort of being told why uh, the show I'm writing can't have me in it is... Like, I had a real episode there. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, while I think not everyone working on these shows are queer, there's a lot of queer people working in cartoons these days. Yeah. Um, it was mentioned on my panel with Noel Stevenson, making She-Ra, she is a lesbian, she wants to make a show for her. Mm-hmm. And it's best, I think, to just do it and then wait for the executives to try and explain why you can't and to just keep asking <laughs> and just keep asking, but why? Like, do you have a problem with me? It's like, no, 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 but, 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 and like make them feel the uncomfortable ones. Yeah. Um, I've not had been that cool and occasionally have devolved into like, let's talk about queer representation 101 for a second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think these are all steps mm-hmm. and like you're, you're seeing it more casually. I mean, uh, there's a show that, came out recently it's by julia pot who we should support because she went to kingston ah uh, uni uh the old alma mater <laughs> uh it's called summer camp island um it's very cute and a recent episode did have a pair of ghost gay dads <laughs> um barrier gays more <laughs> literally <laughs> um uh but i i mean it's also just the type of representation we see because I, I have there are a few a conversation has been started about why when you list canonical cartoon relationships between of queer people it is all female characters mm. um 
I think there is an element of patriarchy behind that. I think relationships between women aren't considered uh, as serious. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole kind of like girls always experiment and girls always hold hands and blah blah blah, blah gal pal stuff. Yeah. Um, I uh, the examples I can find of male uh, queer representation in cartoons is that they are almost always dads. Yeah. Um because that's sort of where they belong. <laughs> um, so it's just stepping stones. And I think every year if we have this conversation, the examples will get bigger and better. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Yeah. We want more of it. And the thing is, and the creators do too, and they are pushing for it. So, like, give your support to people yeah. who are trying Yell at the big networks if you've got to yell at somebody. Yell at- I mean, I uh, I don't I can't remember the name of the show, but on that animation panel at FlameCon, a, a trailer for a Netflix show was shown by one of the other panelists. And it is a cartoon aimed at kids, and the plot is a girl realizes she is gay. And that's the that's what the whole show is about. And it was incredibly funny and written from the experience of the writers. And uh, it was a, it was a trailer that hadn't been coloured in. It was very early stages, mm-hmm. but I think that's I think it's really right around the corner. Yeah, like it just needs one of these shows to realise the world doesn't end just because you do this cartoon. Yeah, and I think then it will be a flood. Hell yeah! Shall we go over to the post bag? <laughs> oh, that makes it seem even more legit. Um, I love it. <laughs> I have this image of Noel Edmonds in a small like cupboard covered in letters. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> now we're just revealing um, our age. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no box, box, box. Shout out to the Facebook group for providing us with some lovely questions to round out the episode with. Yeah. Um, I'll start with the one from um, Amar. Stealing from Twitter because I thought it was an interesting take on the current five whatevers that explain you meme going around. What five meals or dishes would you recommend to someone to get to understand you? Uh, he said that mine would be uh, nasi lemak, udon, hot wings, sausage casserole, and pisang goreng. I don't know if I pronounce any of that right. Deep fried banana. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I want to try that. Meals. Yeah, or dishes, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Man, I had a look at this before we started, and I was trying to think. I know one of them is, like, chip shop chips eaten from the paper with salt and lots of vinegar. That's definitely one of mine. What about meals to understand both of us as a pair? Oh, man. Really? We just need to take everybody to the noodle house. <laughs> so there's the noodle A massive fuck-off plate of noodles piled up. Yeah. Uh that's something we both like we also do enjoy a um greg's donut yep of some description yeah or just donuts full stop uh mm. what else have we had together oh man mm. subway subway is always good i was in the queue at your local subway mm. when uh i watched the trailer for um jodie whittaker's announcement <laughs> <laughs> Right. We we did we recorded an episode where we talked about the new doctor and then the second I left uh, uh it got announced. Yeah. Um I definitely think for me I always think about big pasta bakes. Yeah. No, um, I would definitely associate that with you. 
Um, I don't know. It's a good question. It is. Maybe not one we can answer on the spot. This might, yeah, I might have to put this on Twitter later. So, um, another question we got uh, from Evan asks, "Who's everyone's favourite Doctor Who companion?" I love all my children equally. (laughs) I don't care for. Uh, I don't. I don't care for Adam Mitchell in season one. Mm. Uh, I think there's a lot to love about many of the companions, and that's sort of the point. If you like said like pick choose one now or they all die, <laughs> well that's fairly standard for Doctor Who, I suppose. Um, too real. I would say uh, it's probably Bill. However, Rory takes a very close second place. I always think of Rory for you. It used to be Rory, but then Bill came along. And Bill is just very good. I kind of can't get out of my, like, writery brain because I I like certain companions, but not where the story takes them. Mm -hmm. Or I like certain relationships with the Doctor more than... I think I like the companion. Yeah. Um, That's fair. I think I'm going to say this more because I don't think she gets enough love. She's usually only talked about in the hatred. Um, And I'm going to say Clara Mm. because she, I actually think her storyline was a lot more, um, people were complaining about things about her storyline, which were entirely intentional. Yeah. And I think if people, now that she's gone, if people like rewatch her story, it's actually, I think, really smart, yeah. like to take a companion that way. And you and but, I, you and I have talked about how different companions shined with different doctors. I feel yeah. like Clara really came into her own when she was with Twelve. Yeah, I've, her like few episodes of Matt Smith are very strange. They're really trying to push the like they're both young and attractive they should be into each other yeah angle and um one of my favorite lines is from capaldi's first episode when he says uh i'm not your boyfriend and she says i never thought you were and he says it wasn't my mistake oh it wasn't your mistake I... he basically mm. says because he was young and attractive he thought oh i could have young yeah. and attractive times with people yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first appearance of, well, not technically Clara, of Jenna Coleman as yeah. Oswin. But yeah, no, Os. Well, I'm getting mixed up with Oswin Osgood. <laughs> but when we saw this this girl in a red dress, this very mm. smart, savvy young woman, hold up somewhere, and her interact, that was such a good episode, and I yeah. loved her. And then I felt like they fumbled what they were trying to do for a while. And yeah. that was frustrating. But then she, once they sort of figured out what they were trying to do again, or executed what they were trying to do well, I think it was easier to remember why she was so good that first time. I'm also going to say, because I think it counts, uh, because she does travel in the TARDIS a little bit in the last season, Missy, because I miss Missy and I want Missy to be in it for the rest of time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, sticking with uh, this is from uh, Georgina. Sticking with the Doctor Who theme, what would be your dream episode for Jodie's Doctor? Oh, what a question! What's a what's a kind of 
place or location they've never visited. Less Jodie's Doctor and more like, what's a Doctor Who episode you've never, you've always wanted to see? I really want to see Jodie Whittaker in the 60s. <laughs> like Earth in the 60s. I yeah. I really want to see that. Like proper swinging London, 1960s. Yeah, I mean, I... And I, not just for the aesthetics. <laughs> I was going to say, I really like the idea of like... Um, like golden era Hollywood. Ooh, that would be fun. Uh, but I actually want them to do more historicals in other countries. Yes, that would be great. Um, I think stories. I'd love to see something in kind of feudal Japan, or Ooh. like obviously you have to find somewhere in Wales that. Yeah, somewhere <laughs> can... the budget will allow. Uh. But I think they, I mean, they've been a bit adventurous. They've always gone abroad a couple of times a season. Yeah. Um, they went to South Africa to film uh, the later season. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see them go somewhere like uh, in South Asia as well. Yeah. I just think there's there's so much potential. But Doctor Who has the most wide mm. um, format in the world, but budget and I think in certain ways imagination. I do think certain Doctor Who writers do get trapped in what a Doctor Who story should be. Yeah. And then, like, have to remind themselves occasionally, no, you can take, it can take place literally anywhere. Oh, I'd love to see Jodie interacting with a historical scientist, like Galileo or Newton or somebody like hmm. that. I would have said, like, or Leonardo da Vinci. I know we had that great episode with Vincent van Gogh and I don't want to step on that, but I like the idea of Jodie getting to interact with one of the great minds and it turning out to be a woman. <laughs> that's there we go there's a there's a dream episode <laughs> that's cool i mean yeah i just want I, I also i'm gonna say another thing every single time river song has shown up i've been fine with that being her last episode and then they cast someone i'm really interested in her seeing her interact with yeah no we want to see river interact with jody i want jody to find her wife yes that's all. yes um, last question, and I'm going to ask this because I have no answers for it because I'm the worst. <laughs> uh, Kansas asked us, uh, do we have any recommendations for queer songs or artists aside from Goddess Genomine? Uh, because, you know, listen to everything already. Um, I need so, to listen to more music. So everyone's pretty excited for um troy savan's album bloom that's just come out i think that's really fun um i'm a big fan of someone called uh john grant if you like um very sad uh ex addicts um bears singing about living in iceland um, <laughs> which I'm, I'm very much into. Mm-hmm. Um, I hear good things about, is it Hayley uh, Kiyoko? I've yeah. not listened to any of her stuff, so I don't know. I am woefully out of touch. Woefully um, out of touch. I like St. Vincent. Mm-hmm. Um, Hosey is Jake... just, I don't know if Hosey is one of ours, but one of ours. <laughs> he definitely taps into the vibe. Have you heard about our Hosier? He's a gay man now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, actually, I, uh, I'll do a little shout out. I've been making playlists based on my, based, based on my, um, uh, the characters from Dead Endia. And even if you don't read that or know the characters, I tend to push more queer artists than not Mm -hmm. on them. 
Um, so listen to a song if they sound like their family. Uh, <laughs> look them up. I mean, the thing about Janelle Monae, I was, I, I've been a huge fan of for her for a while, but she only came out this year. And I think sometimes I have liked songs and read them in a queer way without any confirmation. Um, I sometimes go on Twitter a little bit about how it slightly bugs me that uh, the gay stan Twitter mm. will forgive straight artists anything, yeah. but we kind of tear down gay artists mm. at every mistake they make. Um, I've never been a huge fan of his music, but uh, the the community will never forgive Sam Smith for saying that he was the first gay person to win an Oscar when he was wrong. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And yet I have seen artists who have repeatedly made incredibly horribly homophobic statements be forgiven as soon as they release a new signal. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know what to say about it. I think... Uh, um, I'd say, in all seriousness, go on Spotify. I've started to use Spotify more than I used to and literally look for queer artists because pe- mm. uh, people like us make playlists and you can yeah. often get stuff suggested or if you liked this, you might like this or artists like and that can be a really good way to like find yourself somebody new to listen to. Yeah, I mean, I'm part of. I've got a playlist I subscribe to called "Sad Queer Boys Who Must Be Protected," um, which is where I got a few of my songs for my playlists. Excellent. Um, but also, it's actually a trend with my role-playing group. We all have to make playlists of our characters um, and share them, and it's really, really fun. It's been a little bit harder with our Victorian game because every mm. pop song sounds a bit weird coming from a yeah. Victorian character, but. Um, yeah, I'll I'll maybe post some playlists in the Facebook group. Yeah, and one of those things where if anyone listening does have any uh, recommendations of artists, uh, maybe reply to the tweet for this episode. Yeah, actually, we've asked a few questions this week, so maybe on the Facebook group I'll make posts asking those again. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, if you would like to uh, send in a question for the next episode or reply uh, to one of the questions we asked or suggest a topic, uh, please do so. You can uh, via Box Not Included at Gmail or on Box Not Included at Twitter and Tumblr. And as the aforementioned Box Not Included Facebook group. Uh, you can also contact us directly on Twitter via uh, I'm at Hamish Steele. And I'm at JLoxfordRose. Um, and finally, as always, we'd like to thank Graham Waller, audio overlord and master of the soundways for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. But until next time, I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anyone box you in.